0: So hey, we're, gonna, we're diving back into David and Goliath for the last time, for a little while at least. As long as I can get through my sermon. Apologies, obviously we've had a, a, a bigger middle section than normal. but We'll get through, uh, us, not that we're just going to get through, but we'll walk through this passage together. The Wizard of Oz. The Wizard of Oz. You've all seen that? Uh, you've got Dorothy, the Land of Oz, the Wicked Witch of the West. You've got uh, uh, the, the wizard himself and the three characters Dorothy meets on the yellow brick road that goes to the Emerald City, Scarecrow and Tin Man and The Lion Without Courage. Our kids love the movie. It's, 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 a, it's a fantastic kids' movie. <laughs> yes, except it's not a kids' movie. It's a political movie for working through the political issues of the day. The author, L. Frank Baum, he's the reason he wrote the book, was to get across, it said, by allegory, his political agenda. That's what it's really about. That's what all the symbolism, the yellow brick road representing gold and other such things I haven't got time to go into now. And why do I tell you that? Because you're thinking, well, that sounds far more interesting than what Montez normally tells us. Why am I telling you that? 1 Samuel 17 and 16 that we're going to look at together, David and Goliath's battle is far deeper than we give it credit for. And that the real agenda in these chapters... Is a messianic agenda. That's what's going on here. There's a messianic agenda at work in these verses. And so that's what we're looking at together. Look, we've had, this is our sixth attempt to get to the end. Okay, talk about full start. This is the final one. The kingdom needs a Davidic Messiah. That's what this is about. The kingdom needs a Davidic Messiah. Messiah. Let me start with the the concept of Messiah, uh, the Messiah. 2 Samuel 7, later in Samuel's writing. The Lord declares to you, David, that is, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. His kingdom, his house and your kingdom will endure forever. It will be established forever. Forever, that's what we call a messianic text. It points forward to the Messiah. It's speaking to David in very real, very present, close proximity, if you like, at things that are going to take place in his life. But it's bigger than that. It's got a trajectory that's messianic. Okay, the concept of the Messiah that the Jews held, is held in texts like this. And so, f- so from this we get an idea of something of what he's like. Here's what we're told about the Messiah in those verses. Well, here's how you can read it. You can, read, you can only read these texts in two ways, in these two ways. the God is going to establish a dynasty for David. Yes, that's clearly there. It's ongoing. That's what a dynasty is. So the first message of the text is that God is involved here. He's mastermind this dynasty. Number two, and this is where it gets complicated. The dynasty, you would notice from the text, it's still there, isn't it? There it is. The dynasty, it's really interesting because either, in order for this to be fulfilled, David has to have a son on the throne forever, one son after another son after another son, which we know didn't happen because it's been at least 2,500 years since the last king. So he's either has to have a, a son of David reigning one after another after another after another forever, and that has not happened. So either this prophecy has failed, or David has to have a son who is eternal. Can you see the point? He's either going to have ongoing succession, and the succession has failed; it's broken, or he'll have a son who is eternal in nature and that's where this messianic concept comes from and so the jews expect expected a son of david who will live forever a son of david who will be supernaturally empowered a son of david who in himself by himself will keep the dynasty going on and so david is therefore in what we've done previously a type a prototype. His life and his reign represent the ultimate and final son of David, the Messiah. And it's all through the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple of examples. Ezekiel 34. Look at, Listen to this. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. Ezekiel says again in 37, my servant David will be king over them and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. He wrote that six hundred years after David. He couldn't have been speaking about David. He was speaking about a son of David that is so like David that is referred to as David. The Messiah then, this is what we're to understand, the Messiah then will look like David, will function like David, will have David-like characteristics, will reign like David, will do exploits like like David. David becomes... Because this Messiah is is, is configured around David and he's the chief character of, of whom it's configured around, he becomes... All, everything that David is and was and did and said. But greater, greater. This is the thing about the Messiah. He's not just a replica, a clone of David. He's David Mark 10. That's the way to understand it. With, thrown in with eternity too. That's why. Remember when blind Bartimaeus wanted Jesus to heal him? He heard him coming down the street Remember what he shouted? It's going to come up on the screen. Remember what he shouted? It's key to why Jesus knew this man of faith. Because here's what he said. Jesus, yeah, son of David. That was explosive. That man understood deep theological truths of Old Testament scripture. It's a phenomenal, phenomenal understanding. And when Jesus wasn't listening, he dropped the Jesus. And just says, Son of David, Son of David, Son of David. And Jesus heals him. It's what we said Jesus meant when he said to the Pharisees, These are the scriptures that testify about me. The way we find Jesus in the Old Testament is that types, pictures, people, institutions, objects, writings point to him. Let's look at it then. Let's look at it. The kingdom needs a Davidic uh, Messiah. The kingdom needs a Davidic Messiah. I want to just show you a a few circumstantial pointers to David, There's, there's tons of them. Here's a few key ones that are around David. David is a super type. You get lots of types in the Old Testament of Jesus. David is a super type in that he points to him significantly. And so, as a super type, he has lots of circumstantial pointers to Jesus. Number one, David was born in Bethlehem. Jesus was born in Bethlehem. David was a shepherd of his father's flock. Jesus was a shepherd of his father's flock. David brings, begins to reign when he's 30. Jesus begins to reign when he's 30. And that 30 he runs through the Old Testament in several other characters too. David is betrayed by a close friend. Jesus is betrayed by a close friend. Uh, have I got, yeah, And the last one, David expresses his suffering in Psalm 22. Jesus expresses his suffering in Psalm 22. Circumstantial pointers that authenticate this link between David and Jesus. Jesus. They flesh out the typology, but they're just merely circumstantial. Look, we don't make a whole big deal about the fact he's born in Bethlehem. Loads of people were born in Bethlehem. You may have been born there. Who knows? Okay? So they're not key structural typology types. What is key and what is significant? The foundational, structural, typological pointers to Jesus are what we find in 1 Samuel 16 and 1 Samuel 17. Those two chapters, particularly chapter 17, is why i got people, thank you people, to read the whole thing. It was a long reading, wasn't it? But look, it's essential to, uh, to the, uh, what we're doing. Is It's a key, it's probably the most fundamental chapter in the entire Old Testament. Is perhaps the most fundamental chapter in the entire Old Testament and we'll see why. Here then are the central messianic qualities of the Messiah in 16 and 17 and that's what we're looking at together, there's three. Number one, David. David was God's chosen and anointed king. The Messiah will be God's anointed king. David proclaimed God's word. The Messiah will proclaim God's word. David led God's people into victory against their enemies. The Messiah will lead God's people in victory against our enemy. So we're going. That's the messianic structural connection between David and Jesus. We're looking at it. It's what we're doing, how we're doing. I must be speaking really quickly because I'm much further ahead in my sermon than I expected to be at this time of the morning, which means you're going to be a long time... Look, I'm beyond halfway, okay? So bear with me. Number one, these three points are the flesh of our message. Number one, David was God's chosen and anointed king. 1 Samuel 16. The Lord said to Samuel, I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king verse 12 rise and anoint him this is the one God says to Samuel because he thought it was his older brothers remember and verse 13 so Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers and from that day on the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David it's the first key marker point obviously look David isn't the only one to be anointed. Saul was anointed earlier in in, in 1 Samuel. And we saw what became of him. And he's hardly a type of the Messiah. But nevertheless, the anointing is a key credential of the Messiah. An essential quality. Isaiah predicted it, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me. David anointing is a key pointer to what the Messiah will be and it's why when Jesus came on the scene in Luke 4 after reading from Isaiah in the synagogue on that day when it just happened to be his turn to read he read these words and reading them he said today this scripture is fulfilled this is what he read the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me Jesus stepped into the the prophecies of Isaiah and the prophetic experience of David. David's anointing was a prophetic pointer to Jesus being anointed. And just like David who had his moment of anointing when Samuel poured the oil on him, Jesus had his moment of anointing when... Yeah, before then, before even before then, he had his anointing when he was baptized, and the Spirit of God descended on him. That was his anointing, if you like, and it was confirmed as you what you says later said. And so and so and so here's the point, friends, is that Jesus, David rather, in his anointing, points us like an arrow of time. That's meant when you meant when you read that, you, Jesus is saying to you, these are the scriptures that testify about me. That's what you read. That's what you feel. That's that's what's reverberating in one, 1 Samuel chapter sixteen. Jesus is telling me, that's me. That's how you find him. What does that mean for us? There is an application. That's the reality. What does that mean for us? This is what it means for us, friends. Jesus has to full capacity God's anointing power. That's what it tells us. It's It's what it means for us. Jesus has God's full capacity of power in his anointing. He's fully equipped, Jesus, to carry out God's purposes. God's purpose is for the world. God's purpose is for living word. God's purpose is for you. Jesus, as God's anointed, who demonstrated that He is equipped to 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 take care of us, demonstrated His power. Remember, He raised, He healed cripples. He raised the dead. He gave eyes to the blind. He fed the hungry. He demonstrated over and over and over again that here is the man who is anointed by God. Whatever he wanted, he did. Whatever he touched turned to gold. Whatever he said came about. Even when he spoke to wind and waves, for goodness sake, when he spoke to wind and wave. It obeyed him. Christian, in coming to Jesus, you're coming to God's anointed. He is up. For the task of handling your life. Of taking care of you. Of fulfilling God's purposes for you. He's got you. He's got you. God's, David was God's chosen and anointed king. Jesus is God's chosen anointed king. Fully equipped to carry out God's purposes secondly David proclaimed, David proclaimed God's word this is one you'd be thinking uh, where did that happen where did, where did David proclaim God's word when was David a preacher who did David preach his sermon to to Goliath and to the army on both sides. He was a preacher of God's will. Listen to this, 1 Samuel 17, David said to the Philistine, and what did he say? What did David say? Hey, fancy a picnic? What did he say? He said the word of the Lord. He was acting as prophet. You come against me, with sword and parable. but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, whom you have defied. The Lord will hand you over to me. This is a man who is speaking prophetically for God. God's spokesperson. God's preacher. The anointed preacher of God. And he's declaring God's word to Goliath. He's what theologians call the Yahweh. It's 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 the pronunciation for Jehovah the, from the original, the closest anybody thinks they can get to it because I think it lacks vowels. The name of God is only got contents, No one knows how to pronounce it. Something like Yahweh. Okay. This is what theologians call the Yahweh confessor. It's a messianic theme that runs all through Scripture that the Messiah will be the the chief spokesperson for God. His chief, chief speaker who would declare his word. It's all through the Old Testament. One example is Deuteronomy 18. Moses after the, when he's coming to the end of his ministry says this, the Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must listen to him. Verse 18, I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command you. One of the key aspects of the Messiah is that he's a character who will preach God's word. That's how you'll recognize him. He will be a speaker of God's word. And what David is doing to the Philistine, to the Israelite army camped and to the Philistines army camped, he's declaring God's word as God's spokesperson. You see, what was lacking in that situation was that Saul had even up on God's word. Terrified, he he retreated. And what David is doing, he's standing. And ever before he raises a sword or even a sling, he declares God's word. It's where the power is. Isaiah says the same in Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Points us to Jesus. David points us to Jesus. And remember, remember, David's first sermon was to Goliath. Who does Jesus preach his first sermon to? Goliath. What do I say? That don't put it up Don't put it up. Jesus preaches his, his first sermon to Goliath. Where? Well, there is but in, in his real life, he's, he's speaking to a Goliath, the Goliath. Yes, thank you, Catherine. We'll have the text repeat. And the devil took him to a high place, showed him all the mountains. Verse 10. And Jesus proclaimed God's word to him. As David stood and declared God's word to Goliath, Jesus stands and declares God's word to the Goliath of God's people. Can you see that? Away from me, Satan, for it is written. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. you see how he fulfills the typology? And starting from there, from Goliath, Jesus declares God's word to all of Israel. Matthew 4 17. And from that time when Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Christians, so here's the thing David's proclamation to Goliath points us to Jesus, who is a quintessential speaker of God's word. These are the scriptures that testify by me. Yes, listening to David's sermon tells us something about Jesus that he's the proclaimer of God's word it's why in Luke 9 at the transfiguration God says listen to him listen to him and it's what Jesus said at the end of his ministry go make disciples of all nations and tell them what I've said tell them my sermons tell them the words that my apostles write down teach them to obey Everything I've told you. So David proclaimed God's word. The Messiah proclaims God's word. And the final one. We're almost there. The final one. And the quintessential one. The, the most, the, the very centre of scripture. David led God's people into victory against their enemies. That is the most important central detail in David's life in all of Scripture. David led God's people into victory against their enemies. The Messiah will lead God's people in victory over our enemy. We might not think that's important because we don't understand the full gravity of the war. We don't. The greatest war the worst thing in human existence is that we're at war with our maker. And our David will deal with that war for us. Let's look at it. 1 Samuel 17, 48-51 so uh, people just read them for us you just heard them a few minutes ago the stone he, he, run, he runs to him flings his stone at him and the stone sank into his forehead the Philistine's forehead Goliath's forehead and he fell face down unconscious Okay, and David runs over to him and picks up his sword and he killed him by decapitating Goliath making sure he's dead it's essential because his God wasn't fully dead and he could stand up at any moment. David wasn't a doctor, and he hadn't got time to do a, a forensic examination to certify death. And so the way he certified death was to decapitate him. It's what you do in warfare. Even when people are lying dead, I was just watching a World War film recently, World War II film, and even though they were dead, they were still shooting them. Why? To make sure they're dead. To make, and so David makes sure Goliath is dead. And so his rhetoric wasn't, so his rhetoric wasn't mere talk, was he, when he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna feed you to the birds of the air, because he did it. David took on the arch enemy of Israel. The, the, the most fearful, fearsome, evil, skilled, dangerous enemy that the people of God had encountered in one person, Goliath. David defeated. And here's a typology. In defeating Goliath, David's victory foreshadows, typologically points forward to. What? There's a bit more. To what? One specific. Yes. How? When? Where? What? The cross. Where? The cross? Yes! <laughs> Over enthusiastic there, am. Eh? Yes, that battle of Elah, with a valley on the one side, a valley in the middle, a hill on the one side, and a hill on the other, is a picture typologically of Golgotha, Calvary. The cross, this defeat of, this is why I said it's the center of scripture because there's no greater event in all of scripture than the cross. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have the apex of scripture because that scene is, is typologically a picture of David going against Goliath, of Jesus going against Satan of David defeating Goliath, of Jesus defeating Satan. In fact, in Colossians, that kind of terminology is used. Listen to this, Colossians 2. When you were dead in your sins and sins and uncircumcised in your sinful nature, verse 14, God cancelled out the written code with his regulations, verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, Triumphing over them by the cross. Who do you think Paul was. What do you think Paul was looking at in his mind when he wrote those words? David and Goliath. David and Goliath. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. David's battle with Goliath is Jesus's battle with our archenemy, the devil. And just as David, just as. Goliath ridiculed him, but David overcame him, so Jesus was ridiculed too by the agents of Satan. But Jesus overcame him and dealt him a death blow. Here's how it looks. Our predicament, Jesus, Christian, because of Satan and sin, was desperate, just like the Israelites. We had our backs up against the wall, just like the Israelites. We had no hope. Our adversary was taunting us. Before your conversion, the devil taunted you. You are never going to be good enough for God. Remember those? Okay, We're as good as dead, says Ephesians, just like the Israelites. But then Jesus, our David, shows up on the scene. He's God's anointed. He's up for the task. He's the quintessential Yahweh confessor. He speaks God's word to us. He proclaims it to our enemy. Our arch enemy. He enters into a face-to-face duel. What do you think the cross was? The cross was a face-to-face duel with our adversary. The devil, his weapon of choice. Remember David's weapon of choice was unconventional. God's weapon of choice is the unconventional. Paul says it to the Corinthians. I think it's 1 Corinthians 2. Is unconventional. Their thought is fo- excuse me. they thought is foolishness. And amidst the taunts, the ridicule, Jesus stealthily disarms his enemy, like David, and publicly deals the fatal blow. And thus, through his sacrificial, propitiatory, per- per- death and resurrection, he frees us from Goliath. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public, public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. David led God's people into victory against enemies. The Messiah will lead God's people into victory against our enemies. That's what the battle of David and Goliath is really, really, really about. That's what it's all about. It's a picture of the cross of Christ. These are the scriptures, says Jesus, that testify by me. And there's a little bit more. You and I are in it. You and I say you're much older than you look. Okay, you and I are in this passage. Look at this. 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines saw their hero was dead, and he turned and ran. And then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines. What does the army do? After David kills Goliath, they join the battle. They are now the mopping up crew. They're the ones who are going to clean up the mess. They're going to they're extend the, 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 the victory across the battlefield and establish it when Jesus defeats our enemy, the devil, on the cross, issuing a fatal, fatal blow to him. We are the army of Israel who are the mopping up crew. I say this often here, and we have a, a visitor here today, Abadam Barof. But we don't take passengers in this church. There's no would-be would-be viewing gallery in this church. This is an army. And after David has defeated Goliath, which he has, our role, our task is to get off our bombs, isn't it? And to pursue the Philistines. And to mop up the mess. They're defeated! They're defeated. They're going to go down. But we have to run. We have to declare God's word. And so our declaration of God's word brings Jesus' victory into every corner of our world. The declaration of God's word in this school building, uh, by the songs that we've sung, by the talks we've heard, by the Bible reading and the preaching of God's word, is pushing back. Supernaturally, spiritually, the powers of darkness in this realm. If we could see, if you could put see spiritually, you'd see a bubble extending out from this place. That's what the Word of God does. Christian, what is your place in God's kingdom? You have a place and 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 even this guy has a place. with the army of Israel. That gets off the battle, remember they 've been sitting down singing songs to each other and eating picnics after the victory they got up and they pursued and so here 's an impetus Christian for serving jesus you 're the army you 're the mopping up crew, the infantry division let 's get out there let 's get jesus 's word out there let 's get jesus 's message out there let 's do church let 's proclaim jesus name. Let's air it, stream it across the globe because we're the agents of the army of Jesus to extend his kingdom. David led God's people into victory against their enemies. The Messiah will lead God's people in victory over our enemies. And we're done. We're done. David was God's chosen king. That points to Jesus. David proclaimed God's word. That points to Jesus. David led God's people into victory. That points to Jesus. And David inspired the army to mop up the mess that inspires God's church to serve Jesus passionately. Amen. Well, at this juncture, we're going to leave our live streaming. Thank you for joining us. If you have joined us, it's presumption, I know, but we're assuming some people are listening. Join us again next week, about 10.30, when we'll continue. We're, I think we're planning to return to our Philippians sermon series, picking up at Chapter 3, and that's where we'll be going from next week. Otherwise, if you're local, please come along and join us at Mudbury Special School in Hope Valley. Thank you.